0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you. So we are for uh, fourth part of a five-part series that we're looking at to start the year on, uh, called Foundations, where we're, we're looking at some foundational stuff for us as a church, and uh, really trying to help and connect with three different groups of people. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus personally, uh, maybe don't have any particular faith, we're hoping this series will help you to understand more what we believe about Jesus and about Christianity, hope that will help you. Uh, We're hoping hoping to help those who are new in town, as they tend to be at this time of year looking for a church, that help you to think about whether this is a church for you, whether you should be looking somewhere else, and then thinking about those of us who are part of this church, part of Gateway, helping us get a clear kind of sense of focus for the year, getting those foundations clear again about some things which are important to us, and our foundation we're going to look at this morning is being spirit-empowered, being a spirit-empowered people. The other things that we've looked at so far in terms of being gospel-centered and mission-focused and disciple-making, those things only can happen really when we are empowered by the Spirit of God. So this is, this is where the rubber really hits the road in terms of how we uh, get empowered to do the things which we think God has called us to do. And um, our desire is that we'd be a church which is eager and intelligent in pursuit of the presence and the power and the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I want to spend some time this morning thinking about why we do that and how we do that. And uh, to help us uh, think about that, we're going to turn to the Gospel of John. should appear on the screen as well, uh, where Jesus called out about the Holy Spirit being poured out upon those who believed in him. John 7. Verse 37, page 629, if you want to find it in these Bibles. It's up there as well. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. King Jesus, thank you that we do gather to you this morning, the one who is majesty, king. And uh, thank you, Jesus, that you stood up on this day and you proclaimed what was to come to all those who believed in you when you were glorified, that the Spirit of God would be poured out. And thank you that when you were glorified, uh, after you died and risen to new life and returned to your Father, that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon your people, the church. And uh, Lord, we do want to be a people who know what it is to be spirits, empowered, to be a church where there is a sense of the presence and the power and the fruits and the gifts of God at work amongst us. So I ask you to help us this morning as we think about this, Jesus. Amen. Right, let me give you some context. So Jesus stopped at the feast, and in the Jewish calendar, there are a whole bunch of feasts, and this was the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths. And this was a period of seven days each year when the Jewish people remembered the way that god had led them uh, through the wilderness after they come out of egypt and god had led them in the wilderness and for this period of 7 days they were meant to construct booths or tents and kind of live out in the open reenacting the way that they'd lived when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and uh, some jews would still do that to this day during the feast of tabernacles would build kind of temporary shelters and would and would live in them for the period of 7 days and the point of this festival this feast was to remind them that god was with them that even when they'd been in the wilderness, even when they'd been living in tents in the wilderness, God was with them. And so this really was a celebration of the presence of God. God is with us. And the, the story of, of the Bible, this, this book which we treasure and which we uh, submit ourselves to and learn from and teach from week by week, the story of the Bible is a, is a story about God being present. It's a story of God being present in the earth and present amongst people. And that... It begins right at the beginning. If you turn to the Genesis, the second verse of Genesis chapter one talks about how the spirit of God was present over the waters, where nothing had been formed. God was there. God was there at the beginning. His presence was there by His holy spirit. And uh, we get the correct story of, of how men and women were, were made, and uh, it talks about how life, real life, enters. The man, when God breathes his spirit into him, there's something of God's presence which is is given, imparted to the man, which makes him alive, turns him from being just dust into a, a living being. And you then get this beautiful picture about God with Adam and Eve, the first man and woman present with them, walking with them, enjoying being in their presence and them enjoying being in his presence. And of course, the great tragedy of the story is that very soon... Uh, something goes wrong, that uh, men and women rebel against God, disobey Him, and the presence of God is broken. That sense of intimate fellowship and friendship with God is disrupted by the the hardness of people's hearts. But God doesn't leave men and women just on their own, devoid of His presence. We see God's heart, God's desire to be present with people. And we see that in... uh, particularly in terms of individuals and how God works in individual lives in order to save a multitude of people. We see it in the story of of Abraham, this man that God calls, this idol-worshipping pagan from Iraq who God calls and makes his own and brings into friendship with him. And the Bible describes how Abraham walks with God. There's a sense of God and Abraham being in one another's presence. Abraham comes into the presence of God, that where God had walked with Adam and Eve and they'd broken the sense of presence Abraham now walks with God. He knows what it is to be in the presence of the living God. And, and God promises Abraham all kinds of things. And God promises Abraham that his descendants would form a people who would be God and know God. They'd experience the presence of God. They'd be God's people. And in this story, we see that the, the presence of God is a thing. To, to know God, to be in his presence, to be declared part of his people, to Have something, friendship with God. This is is where human beings find their greatest fulfillment and sense of purpose. It's when we know the presence of God, God with us. And when we get to the story of the Exodus and when Moses, the man of God, who knew what it was to be in the presence of God, when he is led by God's grace and power, he's led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt across the sea and towards the promised land, but they have this time of wandering in the desert. We see, we see how important the presence of God is to Moses and to the people that he leads. In Exodus 33, we have this uh, account of Moses and God dialoguing together. Moses said to the Lord, "'See, so you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight.'" Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you, in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too this nation is your people. Look at this picture of Moses kind of dialoguing with God, pleading with God. God, this is what I want, this is what I need. I need to know your favor. These people belong to you, and I need to know the favor of God. And how is that favor of God going to be demonstrated? Like this. And he said, God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. How is Moses going to know the favor of God? He's going to know it because the presence of God will go with him. This is a, this is a promise that God makes to Moses. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be present with you. And then Moses continues the dialogue. He says, said to God, if your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses says to God, look, if you're not going to be with us, just, just leave us to die in the wilderness. Because the only thing that actually separates us from anybody else, the only thing that makes us distinct from any other ragtag bunch of people wandering in the wilderness, the only thing actually which really counts is that we know your presence with us. God, let me and let these people know your presence with us. And God promises that he'll be present with Moses and he'll be present with his people. And we see that in the story of the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, 40 years which was characterized often by rebellion and sin on the part of the people, but also characterized by the constant faithfulness of God. He was present amongst his people. He was present in different ways. He was present by a pillar of fire and smoke that... Uh, was present over the camp and would lead the people that when they were to get up and pack up their tents and move forward again the pillar of cloud and smoke would move ahead and they would follow it. God was present in this pillar of smoke and fire and God was also present in the law that he gave to Moses. Moses goes up a mountain and meets with God. He goes into the presence of God, and God gives instructions about how the people are to live. And, and, and that law actually represents the presence of God. God is present amongst his people by the instructions that he gives them. This is how they're to know God with them, his presence through the law. And then he's present with them in this ark that is made, a, a wooden box covered in gold, which forms a central point of the worship of the israelite people it represents the presence of god himself somehow is present in this ark in this gold covered wooden box god is there and that means that this is a a powerful thing not that the box in itself has any power but the presence of god is powerful god dwells and there's this physical sign that right at the center of the camp of the israelites is a tent of meeting where you go to meet with god and there's the ark the presence of God, where God dwells. God dwells with his people. And so at the Feast of Tabernacles, hundreds and hundreds of years after the story of the Exodus, when the people were celebrating the feast, they were celebrating the presence of God. God was with us. God is with us. Even when we were living in tents in the wilderness, God was with us. And... In the temple where Jesus stood and cried out during the Feast of Tabernacles, each day water would be poured out onto the altar during this feast. And the water, water is a sign of joy and it's a sign of life. Water is poured out. It's a, it's a sign of God's presence. God's presence is like this water. It's life-giving and it's joy-giving. You come to the presence of God and you find life and you find joy. And then Jesus stood up on the last day of the feast as the priest had been pouring out water onto the altar and it had run down the temple steps. Jesus stood up and declared, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What Jesus says suddenly makes sense when you think about all that the feast represents. The, the pouring out water onto the altar is a sign of life and joy and the presence of God. And Jesus says... If you really want to know life and joy, if you really want to know the presence of God, if you want to not thirst spiritually, you're going to find that through me. Believe in me and the Spirit we poured out. And it's not going to be water that you then pour out onto an altar, but there's going to be living water which pours out of you. Come into the presence of God. Jesus is the one in whom joy and life is found by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a question for us this morning. Where? Where are we searching for joy and for life? Everyone's engaged in a search for joy and for life. Everyone's seeking after happiness. Where are we we looking for it? Where are we seeking to quench our thirst? Jesus claims that he's the one who can quench our thirst fully and totally. And Jesus is now glorified. It says here in John that the Spirit hadn't yet been poured out because Jesus hadn't been glorified. It's looking ahead to the events of Easter when Jesus will be crucified and then raised to new life and then return to his Father's right hand and reign over all things. Jesus has now been glorified. Jesus is enthroned in glory in the heavens. And because of that, now the Spirit has been poured out. It happened on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit has been given. And so now if we're thirsty, what do we do? We believe in Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit. And so for us here in Gateway Church in Paul and Bournemouth in 2017, what our desire is is that we should be a church where there's a river of joy and life, that we should be a spirit-empowered people, that the church properly understood is people who are empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit, where God's people we're a living temple we meet in a physical building but the real building is us these living stones god's presence amongst us is what defines us just as much as it did for moses and the people of israel but even more now because the spirit's been given in such liberality to all of god's people and so we want to be that kind of church where we know and encounter and experience and drink of the spirit of God. I've said to you before, those of you who uh, have been around a bit longer, sometimes when people say to me, what do you do? It's a difficult, difficult question to, to answer. And especially being in a, uh, not in a, uh, in a, in a, it's a bit easier for you're an Anglican vicar because you can say I'm a vicar and people kind of got a frame of reference. But uh, this kind of church it's a bit more difficult to describe what I do. It's a bit like a vicar, but not really. One of the things I try and get to is to say I help people to, under, to experience more of the presence of God. Because actually that's what we're about. This is what church is, experiencing the presence of God. That's what we're here for. The presence is the thing. Now, I asked a few of my friends how they would, uh, what it meant for them to be a people who were spirit-empowered. Uh, Brian Barr, a friend of mine, leads a church in Houston, Texas. He said this, The believer's life is dependent on the enabling power of the Spirit to become like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. Without the working of the Spirit in our lives, we can't become who we are called to be and do what we've been called to do. You need the Spirit of God to be like Jesus and do the things that Jesus wants you to do. You need to be Spirit-empowered. And so to be Spirit-empowered means that we know the presence and the power and the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just want to take a few minutes thinking about each of those four things. First of all, the presence of God. When you believe in Jesus, you enter the presence of God. Those who are Christians, those who who have put their faith in Jesus, described in the Bible as being adopted. We become God's children. We become heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That means that all that God has, he will share with us. Jesus is the one who rules rules over all things. Uh, He is going to take up his inheritance, which is to possess all things, and he will share all things with those who are his children, who are co-heirs with him. We, we get to share in all that Christ is and all that he has. We enter the presence of God. First Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. Ephesians 2.22, In him you also have been built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You put your trust in Jesus and you enter the presence of God. Once the people of God had this ark, this wooden gold-covered box, and then the temple as the place where God's presence was known to reside. But now everything has changed because Jesus has been glorified. Now the Spirit is present in the midst of God's people. And so the presence of God is something that we, we need to seek. And I said at the beginning that we want to be Spirit-empowered. We want to be eager and intelligent in our pursuit of the Spirit. And seeking the presence of God is one of the ways areas in which we need to be intelligent in our pursuit of God, because sometimes it's you can almost feel that Christians are pursuing the presence of God as if it's something that has been lost. It's been lost, and we need to try and find it. Where's it gone? Actually, when you become a Christian, you enter the presence of God. You're welcomed in. You're declared to be an heir and a co-heir of Christ. You're adopted as a child of God. You're, You're in the house, you're part of the house. You're getting built into this thing. The spirit of God dwells in us, and so we don't seek the spirit of God as something which is lost, but something which is ours by right and which we are called to enter into and to enjoy. It's a relationship that we have and we choose to embrace. It's like we—you uh, can live in the same house as somebody and not be in their presence. You can be physically there but not actually present. You need to choose to engage with somebody to. Talk together to actually be present with one another. and those of us who believe in Jesus, we have this total free access into the presence of God, And so we seek the presence of God as something which is ours, not something which has been lost, but something which we long for, because it 's ours by right. we want to know more of and experience more of and enjoy more of. We've crossed into the presence of God uh, la- last Monday which was my day off, uh, Grace and I went out to the, the coast, and you know, the first few days of this week, we had that incredible fog, didn't we? And uh, we drove out of the pool on, on Monday morning, and it was that thick, thick fog with about 20, 30 yards of visibility. And uh, uh, as we were driving out all the way, it was thick and out by Wareham, the trees were coated in ice. And then as we, just before we got to Swanage, suddenly the fog disappeared. And we went up into Dalston Country Park, and it was... Glorious warm sunshine, and then we went to the Square Encompass pub for a pasty and a pint, which is an excellent thing to do, and, and and sat outside, and it felt like May. It was warm sunshine, and bumblebees were flying around. It's just extraordinary, absolutely amazing, and then. We came back home, and as soon as we dropped over past Kingston and towards Corfe Castle, into the fog and the freezing again, it was just amazing. From zero degrees and thick fog into beautiful sunshine and really warm, sitting outside, basking in it, bumblebees flying around, just amazing. You know, when you, come, when you become a Christian, it's a bit like that, that. You suddenly come into the presence. You come out of the fog into the presence of God. You come into the sunshine of God's love. And, you know, I, I much prefer sitting in the sunshine with the bumblebees flying around, than being stuck in the fog and the ice. And if you're, if you're a Christian, you've been invited into the sunshine of God's love. And so you want to seek the presence of God. It's ours. It's why, we, it's why we gather and pray. It's why this Friday, first Friday of the month, we say, come and pray. Not to get through a list of stuff, not to tick off some religious obligation. No, it's because we come together, and together we experience the presence of God. And that's good. I want us to know the presence of God. next thing we need to know is the power of God. We do want to be spirit-empowered. And we need power for when we know that we don't have power in ourselves to do the things we need to do. This week I got an email on the newsletter for Simon Gilbo, who leads a work in Burundi. He actually preached here a few years ago. And it's always worth following what Simon's up to, very... Impressive guy, and he said this as part of his email, Burundians are hungry. In a ladies' Bible study, there was a discussion about their five greatest fears. The top two recurring answers were being hacked to death and slowly wasting away through starvation. Incidentally, it would be interesting to compare notes with your life group if you are in one. What would you come up with? It really struck me powerfully, the reality of Simon's situation, that in life groups in Simon's church, Things that people are talking about, are are they going to starve to death? Are they going to be or hacked to death? A situation like that is one where people are very aware of their lack of power. And when you feel a lack of your own power, your own resources, we need to know power. And the way that we Christians are empowered is by the presence of God. God's spirit at work in us. And Christian history is replete with stories of Christians who have run out of their own power but have found the empowering presence of God who has sustained them and helped them and enabled them to overcome all the things which have come against them. We need to know that kind of power. We might not be facing starvation or being hacked to death, but there's things in our lives where we don't have power in ourselves to endure. and We need to know the empowering presence of God. We also need to know God's power so that we can obey him. You know, friendship with God is, is amazing, but uh, we've got to remember that God's in charge. First Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. The reality is, you become a Christian, and there's a new sheriff in town, there's a new boss, that Jesus is now king, and he demands things of us in terms of the way that we live and the things that we do and the thoughts that we have. We're to be submitted to him. We're to be submitted to his word. We need to apply and believe and follow what is taught us through the Bible, through the scripture, through the word of God in, in the scriptures. And, you know, that's not always easy. There are things in every generation which are particularly challenging. And in our culture, there are things which are particularly challenging because there are things which are just assumed as normal in our society, which actually are contrary to what the Bible would have us do and believe and practice. And, and it can be very difficult at times to live faithfully as a Christian because there can seem to be such a gulf between what the Bible expects of us and what our culture expects of us. And to be faithful to the Bible, to be faithful to Jesus rather than just sucked up by our culture. We need power. Now, I can't do it on my own. The the cultural currents are so strong. If I'm going to be faithful to Jesus and what he teaches me through his word, I need some power. I need the Holy Spirit to be at work in me, empowering me. And so we need to be a church which knows the power of God so that we can be faithful to Jesus, so that we can joyfully, not reluctantly, follow Him and obey Him and do what He instructs and do what He asks of us because we know His presence with us, His empowering presence at work in us, which means that we follow Him, put Him first. We need to know the power of God. And we need to be Spirit-empowered so that we can be fruitful. Being Spirit-empowered means that we're able to please God. It means that we can produce spiritual fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You say, God is at work in you. Well, let's see it. Show me. We look for the evidence of it. The world looks for the evidence of what we profess to believe. And if we're to be spiritually fruitful, we need to be empowered by the Spirit. I mean, some people, there's all, all kinds of different personalities, got all different kinds of histories, different kinds of characters. Some people are just by natural personality, nicer people than others. Some people are by temperaments, more sunny, and some are a bit more gloomy. And we've all got our own different ways of doing things. But those of us who know Christ are called to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. And in the areas where we're, natu- we're not so naturally fruitful, we need the Spirit to help us. If we're not by nature patient people, we need the Spirit to empower us, to help us to be patient. You'll be very pleased to know that this week I deliberately chose the slowest cashier at the supermarket (laughs) to put into practice what I'd encourage you to do last week, to cultivate patience in my heart. And uh, if you're not... If you're not naturally kind, we need the Spirit of God to empower us for kindness. If, you're, if you find it hard to be faithful, then we need the Spirit of God to empower us with faithfulness. If, if you lack self-control, it's the Spirit of God who brings this fruit of self-control forth. We need to be empowered by the Spirit so that we might be fruitful. And when we think about this, it's really we need to remember that when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're, the Holy Spirit isn't a, isn't a force or an influence. Now, the Spirit of God is the very presence, and He's, he's a, a person. He's one of the Trinity. He's fully God. He's the fulfillment of God's promise to presence Himself among His people. How do we know the presence of God? By the person of the Holy Spirit, and He empowers us to live godly, fruitful lives. And so, where we are lacking in fruit, spiritual fruit, where as a congregation, We're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit as we should. What we need more of is more of the presence of God, the empowering presence of God. We need to be Spirit-empowered so that we can be spiritually fruitful. And then lastly, we want to be Spirit-empowered so that we can exercise spiritual gifts. And I was asking my friends for their thoughts on being Spirit-empowered. Steve Van Rijn from Cape Town, he said this, "...the Holy Spirit desires to fill each believer continually with increased power for Christian life and witness and imparts his supernatural gifts for the edification of the body and for various works of ministry in the world. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in the church of the first century are available today, are vital for the mission of the church, and are to be earnestly desired." All the spiritual gifts that we read about in the New Testament are still available today. They're to be earnestly desired. They're vital for our mission. And so we need to be earnestly desiring the gifts that God has for us, the things which we can't do on our own, all the gifts. And to be Spirit-empowered means that we can do things that we can't do. Sometimes that's very clear and obvious. With a gift like healing or, or prophecy or speaking in another language those are things which we cannot do and it's very obvious that something else is happening to us to enable us to do them that we need to know the power of the spirit in order to pray for the sick and see see them made well to get revelation from god so things we couldn't possibly know get opened up those are obvious uh, ways in which the spirit works other gifts that the bible describes which might look a bit more natural but actually the things we couldn't do or couldn't do to the extent we need to unless the spirit empowers us Part of the process of what I go through week by week and this of getting up to teach is looking at the Spirit of God. Would you gift me? Because in myself I only have a certain degree of ability. I need the Spirit of God to gift me and then to take the words that I say and to apply them into your hearts. Otherwise this is a very dry and futile exercise that we sit through week by week. We need the Spirit of God to be present amongst us. And so we need to earnestly, eagerly seek, desire the spiritual gifts because they're vital for the mission of the church and they're available to us today. And so in the areas of church life where we are not experiencing the fullness of the gifts as we would want to, we, what do we do? We seek the Spirit. We ask the Spirit of God to empower us again. We need to thirst. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. And really that's the starting point. Are we thirsty? Are we thirsty for God? Do we seek after Him? Do we come to Jesus? Because Jesus says, if you come to me, you will receive the Spirit like a, like a little trickle, like a dribble, like a little drip from a 40-tap, no, like a river. So yesterday, um, we had a bit of an accident in here the, uh, on Friday. The, uh, the baptistry overfilled somewhat. And uh, the whole of this floor was covered in water. And uh, that was a bit of a problem and a bit of a pain and meant we had to hire in some equipment to suck it all up. Um, But actually, I think there's always something that, everything is in the providence of God. I think there's almost something prophetic about that, that, that Jesus said there'd be rivers of living water, not contained, not limited, but overflowing. And if you'd come in here on Friday afternoon, you'd have come and waded through water in this place. We've got it contained in the baptistry now, but it was all over the place. And the way that Jesus pours out his Spirit, the way that he wants us to know his Spirit, is by a, a lavish outpouring, not a measly trickle. And so let's pursue the presence of God. Let's seek God's empowering presence so that we can make disciples and we can reach the lost and we can live in the power of the gospel. We are about to baptize Nancy and uh, Claire, and baptism is a response of faith. It's really the response of faith. When you respond to Jesus, the thing that you're meant to do, you get baptized. That's the sign that you are serious in pursuing Christ. When you get baptized, it means that you are entering into the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died and he rose again, and baptism is our way of participating in that. We die to our sin, we die to the rebellion of Adam, and we are made alive in Christ Jesus. And it's the way that we enter into the people of God. It's a sign that you're now part of this thing. You are part of the church, you're part of the people of God who know the presence of God. And so baptism is very powerful and very significant and very precious. We're going to uh, worship for a while and the kids will come back in. But just before we do that, it'd be great to pray for Nancy and Claire that they would know more of the power and the presence and the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Can we do that? Why don't we all stand together and then we'll go into Thomas singing. And if those who are near Nancy and Claire, would just like to stretch out your hands to them and uh, I'll pray for them. And uh, let's look for the Spirit of God to be active, flowing, poured out amongst us. Spirit of God, thank you that you have been poured out on the church, that we might know the presence of God and the power of God and might be spiritually fruitful and might move in spiritual gifts. And King Jesus, I pray that today might be a day of, of, of getting wet, for Claire and for Nancy, getting wet in this water and, and getting into the river of the presence of God, the Spirit of God. I pray for Claire and for Nancy today, King Jesus there'd be a pouring out of the spirit into them so they would know your power they would know your presence they'd be increasingly fruitful and they would step out in spiritual gifts as well in a new way as they've become uh, clearly part of the people of God living stones part of this temple filled with your presence i pray for us as a church king jesus that we that we would be spirit empowered i pray that we pray that we wouldn't just go through the motions but we'd be people who know what it is to live in the river of God's blessing. Thank you. We don't seek your presence as something which is lost, but something which is ours. Thank you We've stepped out of the freezing fog into the warm sunshine of your love, your presence, your grace, and your mercy. We give you praise for that, King Jesus. Amen.